It's Wednesday Wonders, science fiction and fantasy on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that all children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult. The Leviathan Chronicles Season 3 The story thus far. Senshin and the Black Dog Group have reached the buffer station. Deep in the Congo jungle in Africa, Senshin, Rebecca Von Alt, Whit Roberts and Jason Sterling have discovered a massive sinkhole in the rainforest that contains a mysterious stone temple. Sterling has told Whit Roberts that the aliens are inside and their plan will finally begin. Back in Leviathan, McAllen has used a Starstone fragment to revive Evangeline from the coma she entered after suffering at the hands of the traitor Bennu. And Harlequin has brought his ward Lizette to Leviathan, as well as a young computer prodigy named Chloracan in an effort to stem the destructive virus that is threatening to destroy the city. Chloracan has managed to slow the spread of the virus, thus buying Leviathan more time to eliminate the threat or evacuate the city. And in Tokyo, Japan, ANA Flight 324 from New York City has just touched down in Narita Airport, with passengers Jeffrey Tully, Toshi Tanaka and Anton on board. Tully has come back to Japan to return Toshi to his father, Kasunori Tanaka, head of the Yakuza. Tully hopes by returning Tanaka's son, he will gain freedom for his best friend, Oberlin Sinclair. And now, Chapter 43, The Exchange. Toshi, Anton and Tully entered a taxi cab at Tokyo's Narita International Airport and directed the driver to take them to the Intercontinental Hotel in the posh Ark Hills district. Anton had visited the hotel in the past and specifically requested the Tatami Corner Suite, one of the grandest rooms in the hotel, to effectuate the handoff to exchange Oberlin Sinclair for Toshi Tanaka. In the taxicab, Tully removed a cell phone Anton had given him and made a very important phone call. When he finished, he handed the phone back to Anton. You really think this is going to work? If you follow my instructions properly, I don't foresee any problem. You know, if we mess this up, I... I realize what's at stake, Mr. Tully. You just make sure you control your end of the bargain. Once they had checked into the lavish hotel, Tully and Anton waited anxiously for the important visitor that held their fate in his hands. A lone figure exited the elevator on the 34th floor of the hotel and slowly walked down the long corridor that terminated at the expansive double French doors of the tatami suite. The man knocked on the door, which Anton opened promptly. Oh, hi. My name is Fishig Ferry. I'm here to see a Mr. Antonovich about my Fishig order. Yes. I'm Mr. Antonovich. Won't you come in, Mr... Mr. Frederick? Please have a seat. Freddy nervously entered the opulent suite and couldn't help but stare wide-eyed at the show-stopping views of the Tokyo skyline and lavish appointments of the room. His hands fidgeted fretfully as he sat down in a lush cream-coloured silk chair beside a polished walnut table by the window. 
You say Intercontinental Hotel want to see me, Mr. Antarovich? Uh, I come to Tokyo right away. I come very fast when you call. We appreciate your promptness, Mr. Frederick. Uh, call me Fetty. All my fans call me Fishing Fetty. Yes, Mr. Frederick. We called you to Tokyo to discuss our latest order of beluga caviar that we placed with your organization recently. It seems there has been some deception on your part, Mr. Frederick. It seems that not all the caviar you've supplied us with is uniform in its quality. Oh, I don't know what you talk about, Mr. Antonis Smith. Uh, my fish is very good. Really, Mr. Frederick? Then perhaps you could explain to me why 50% of the beluga caviar we ordered from you has turned bright green within the first two weeks of cold storage. Oh, uh, that means caviar very special. Oh, eat like a cracker jack. Oh, when fish shake turn green, me very lucky. Mean you have good luck with lady friends. Mr. Frederick. Nothing wrong with my fish shake. Oh, uh, maybe hotel not store caviar cold enough. Oh, maybe little frog get inside teen or make a little house. Mr. Frederick. I feel it's only fair to warn you that we have received some reports that would appear to cast some doubt as to the caliber of your character. What that mean? Who say bad thing about Fishing Fetty? Why don't you take a wild guess, you filthy son of a bitch? Oh, Two daddy. powerful hands clamped down hard on his shoulders, shoving him deeper into the chair. Sit down, you squid shit. It's time for a little payback. Oh, oh, Tari. Uh, Fetty, so happy to see you. Uh, so glad you okay. So glad Yakuza not chop off head and feed body to one fish. How are you, my friend? Tully's fist shot forward, demolishing Fish Egg Freddy's nose. Tully grabbed the sides of Freddy's cheeks and squeezed. You little tiny nothing. You sold me and Oberlin out. You sold us out for one goddamn payday. You know that we would have helped. We always help you out in a jam. We were going to get back on our feet and have you join our team on the Hail Mary. And you, you fucking turned on us. Oh, Tully. Tully, peace. Peace, Tully. I'm so sorry. Yakuza give Freddy no choice. They say they kill Freddy and Mama-san. Tell all my customers not to buy from me. They take everything, Tari. Freddy had no choice. Nowhere to go. Please, Tari. Please, I'm so very sorry I hurt you in Oberlin. I love Oberlin. But Freddy got nobody, Tari. I got nowhere. Nobody turned to for help. What about me, Freddy? I got nowhere to turn when my shit goes bad. My boat blows up. My wife sues me. I don't have anybody backing me up. No, Tari. You got Oberlin. Oberlin always stick by Tari. Freddy got nobody. Please, Tari. Please forgive Freddy. I'm so sorry. I don't want to hurt my good friend. Tully stepped away from Freddy to take full measure of him. He was slumped over with shame even more so than fear. He knew Freddy would say whatever it took to stay alive, but he still felt genuine regret emanating from the man. Tully's anger left him ready to exact a painful revenge upon Freddy. But for Oberlin's sake, he knew a cooler head had to prevail. All right, you listen to me, you little piece of sea slime. It's time for you to make it up to me. Make it up to Oberlin. Time for you to deliver. If I let you go, and my friend and I decide not to paint the walls of this hotel room with your face, then you're going to run some errands for Anton and me. Tari, Yakuza going to kill Freddy if I help you. I'm going to kill you right now if you don't do every single thing I say. And if you leave this hotel and say anything to Tanaka, or the Yakuza, or the police, I'm going to talk to the Intercontinental Hotel for real. And I'm going to tell them all about the scam you're running and your special fish egg sauce. And then I'm going to talk to the cops and tell them about the smuggling you've been doing on the side to get all that caviar into the country. I'm going to make sure you go broke and that you get put in jail. And then, then I'm going to call Tanaka-san myself and tell him you were the one that helped me escape with Oberlin. And look at me. I will escape with Oberlin so that he puts the word out in jail that you're a two-timing little weasel and a big enemy of the Yakuza. That'll make sure that the life sentence you get in jail is a real barrel of laughs. You get me, Freddy? 
Are you sure you understand how important the next few hours are for the rest of your life? Because I'm not fucking around. Freddy, you understand? I want to help you, Tully. I want to help my two good friends. Freddy, no bad friend. Freddy just gets scared and caught in a very bad spot. I help you in Oberlin. I show you Freddy be good friend again. Good. Because I'm about to give you a big shopping list. And you had damn well better deliver. The elevator on the 34th floor of the Intercontinental Hotel opened once more. This time, a slim Asian man in a dark tailored suit exited the elevator, flanked by three larger men sporting tattoos that were visible over the neckline of their Oxford shirts. They exited the elevator and walked down the long hallway to the tatami suite. After knocking twice, Kasunori Tanaka entered the hotel suite with his bodyguards to see Tully standing against the window. Good afternoon, Mr. Tully. Good afternoon, Mr. Tanaka, sir. It smells like rotten fish. Tanaka stared at the large platter of half-eaten sushi, some scattered shells of edamame, and a half-dozen bottles of Kirin Light. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry about that. We got in late last night, and I was totally starving. I figured, hey, when I'm in Japan, I, I gotta have me some sushi, right? So that's what I ordered. I got one of those omiyo-mai-kase plates. I, I guess the uh, housekeeping didn't come yet. It's still good the next day, though. Tully popped a warm half-piece of Toro into his mouth that had been sitting by the sunlight of the room. <sighs> Disgusting. No, actually, it was all right. Not great, but all right. <sighs> where is my son, Mr. Tully? Why don't you tell me where Oberlin is first? You will see your friend Oberlin when my son is safely in my custody and I can see he's unharmed. You have already begun to try my patience, Mr. Tully. Your son is close by. In fact, he's in the hotel. But I want to see Oberlin. Now. Give me my son first. No. See, that's not what's going to happen. This is your town. These are your gangsters. And you have the advantage here. The only assurance I have is that I know what room number Toshi is in. And I'm not giving that up until me and Oberlin are safe. If you were in my shoes, you would do the same thing. I know you would. So maybe you can give me a little more of a hint. Where is Oberlin? Two of the Yakuza gangsters that entered the hotel suite with Tanaka-san exited and returned a few minutes later with Oberlin. They each were holding him by the arm and shoved him towards Tully when they re-entered the suite. Tully! Oberlin! Oberlin! Holy shit, man! Are you okay? I got to be honest. I never thought I was going to see you again. How the hell did you find me? Don't worry about any of that. Are you okay? Did those guys hurt you at all? Well, I wasn't getting any soft back rubs, if that's what you mean. But no. No, I'm okay. I just want to get out of here. Me too. I gave you my assurances he would be unharmed, and I have now presented you with your friend. The time has come for you to honor our agreement. Where is my son, Mr. Tari? Where's Toshi? Tully switched on the television set in the room that was connected to an Apple MacBook Pro with an HDMI cable. The television showed another hotel room with similar furnishings as the suite they were in. However, the room was much smaller and was dominated by a king-sized bed upon which sat a little boy playing video games. It was Toshi. Like I said, Toshi is in one of the rooms in this hotel. Are you playing a game, Mr. Tully? What room is my son in? Well, I am going to tell you what room your son is in, but not until Oberlin and I are safely on a plane getting the hell out of Japan. I don't think so, Mr. Tari. I do think so, Tanaka. Look, I've shown you the video, and you can see that Toshi is okay. 24 hours ago, your son was in New York City being held by a mutated lunatic and being used as a bargaining chip against you. Now I've got him back home to you. 
I did that. Now it's your turn to let me and my friend go and never ever see us again. That was our deal. Mr. Tari, I am growing tired of your inability to grasp the situation you are in. This isn't a game. You're right, this isn't a game. This is my friend's life. And we had a deal, Tanaka. Our deal is subject to some renegotiation. What do you mean, renegotiation? You got Toshi back. That was the deal. I got him back from that maniac, Jason Sterling, and I almost got myself killed doing it, but I got your son back. Now we're even, Tanaka. All debts are settled, right? Your son is okay, and I'll call you with the room number when I'm on a plane out of here. Well, you may have brought my son back. You did not adhere to the exact terms of our agreement. Our deal was for you to bring Toshi back to me within 72 hours. You fucking bastard. And as I look at my watch, I see that over 85 hours have passed since we had our last meeting in Okinawa. Come on, Tanaka. It seems you have had a very hard time meeting your obligations in any contract you enter, Mr. Tully. Seriously? You're going to welch because I'm a couple of hours late bringing your only son back to you from the other side of the world? You are also a man who has stolen from me and should be punished for making me appear a fool in front of my community. But you have provided me with a valuable service. I am not an ungrateful man. So I will allow one of you to be free and the other I will kill quickly and mercifully. Between you and your friend Obering, who lives and who dies is entirely up to you. You have one minute to decide. Jesus, Tanaka! Tully looked at Oberlin, who appeared shocked. Okay, 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 just... 50 seconds. Can you, can you give me a moment? I can give you... 45 seconds. All right, all right. I choose me. You can kill me and let Oberlin go. Tully, I'm not going to let Shut you. Shut up, Oberlin. Tully! It's me, Tanaka. I'm the one you've wanted to kill all along. But one condition. I want to be able to talk to Oberlin alone. I want to use my last 45 seconds or however long you'll give me to just say a couple of things to my friend before you kill me. I've earned that. I fucking earned that! I've treated your son kindly and I deserve to say goodbye to my friend. He's the only family I got. I would make your farewell a brief one, Mr. Tari, and give me the room number of Toshi. Or I may decide to simply kill both of you. Come here, Oberlin. Tully glared at Tanaka before he and Oberlin quickly entered the bedroom on the left. Tully, I'm not going to let you do... Oh, for the love of St. Patrick, it smells to high holy shit in here. Oberlin, shut up and take this. Tully handed Oberlin a modified Leviathan dart gun as Anton stepped out of the closet silently and loaded his own. Oberlin meet Anton, Anton meet Oberlin. Oh, the pleasure is all mine. You know, I've... Stay focused. Anton, you take left, I'll take right. Oberlin, you hit the guy in the middle. Nobody misses. Got it? Ten seconds later, the bedroom door burst open. Each man fired once, hitting their targets directly. Tanaka jumped back in shock and was suddenly crouched on the floor in terror when each of his bodyguards slumped lifeless to the ground. When he realized he hadn't been struck, Tanaka made a frenzied dash to the hotel suite door, but Anton had already closed the distance. He grabbed Tanaka's chest from behind and threw him backward over his hip smashing into the elegant coffee table, sending glass everywhere. Tully pounced and sat on top of Tanaka's chest, with Anton now holding down each of Tanaka's arms. You're not going anywhere. You'll die for this, you... Buremono! Tully grabbed Tanaka's nose roughly and pinched it shut. I don't think so, The Yakuza boss thrashed back and forth and gasped desperately for air. Oberlin! Oberlin, give me that tray in the bedroom. The metal one. 
Hurry! Oberlin dashed into the bedroom and wrapped a towel around his hand, and returned with a rancid metal tray covered in blood and slime. Three dead, gutted fish lay on the plate. I wanted to spare no expense for you, Tanaka. Not after you've been so... Uh, hospitable to me. So I prepared a little Japanese delicacy for you. Uh, it's a tricky little dish. It's called fugu, or otherwise known as puffer fish. Tully, using Oberlin's towel, grabbed a handful of the sliced fish flesh and shoved it into Tanaka-san's mouth. I did a little home cooking for you. A little sashimi. Cut it all up myself. How's that taste, Tanaka-san? Let me guess. It's getting a little tingly on your mouth. Tanaka screamed in terror as Tully held both his nose and mouth shut, forcing him to swallow the slices of raw fish. Once Tully was assured the fugu had passed through his throat, he released his mouth to breathe. You know, you've got to study for at least three years to learn how to cut fugu, just to make sure you don't get any of the poison stuff on the fish. It's all in the liver, you know? One little nick and the whole fish is contaminated. Poison everywhere. Enough to kill 30 men. You... you will die for this. I will die? I will die? Well, the funny thing about fugu is that I don't think you need three years. In fact... I watched a YouTube video on the plane right over here, and I already feel like an expert. But that being said, I don't think I'm going to be the one that dies first. Tully grabbed another handful of raw, bloody fish slices and thrust them into Tanaka's mouth, holding his jaw shut. How is it tasting now, Tanaka? A little tangy? I put a little seasoning on that last bit. I only had a Swiss Army knife to work with when I was doing the cutting, so... My people... We would never let you leave Japan alive. Oh, I wouldn't say that. See, you got a choice now, Tanaka. You can trust in my sushi-making ability that maybe the fugu I served you is clean. Maybe I didn't nick the liver or the ovaries of the fish. Maybe the fish you ate is fine. Or maybe your nervous system is about to seize up. Pretty soon, moving your arms or legs or even breathing is going to get mighty difficult. I could call you an ambulance and... They could get you to a hospital, but for that to happen, you're going to call your goons in the hotel lobby now to tell them to let us pass through, that we delivered Toshi and we're clean. Never. I would rather... Okay, Oberlin, hand me some more puffer pieces. Those ones near the belly look pretty appetizing. Stop! Stop! I will call. Are you sure? Because I could add a little wasabi or soy sauce just to make Give me it... the phone, damn it! Quickly! Tully continued to sit on Tanaka's chest while Anton held down his arms. Oberlin dialed the number Tanaka instructed and held the phone to the gangster's ear. You know, they told me you would do this. They said you would double-cross me. Even when I lived up to my word. You left me no choice, Tanaka. Ah, uh, my legs... I can't feel my legs. Tully got off Tanaka's chest and Oberlin and Anton rose up as well. They stared down at the man who now trembled slightly on the floor. That's the poison starting to work on your nervous system. You see, I knew if I tried to leave here with Oberlin, you'd be on the phone getting an army of your Yakuza goons to take me out. So now you're going to be frozen for a little while, Tanaka. Paralyzed. The poison blocks your nerve cells so you can't move. No more phone calls for you. Your brain stays active so you can hear everything I say while you can't move a muscle. Save me. Don't let me die. That's a lot to ask from someone you've been threatening and torturing for the past 72 hours. Actually, 85. Oh, right. Excuse me. 85. Uh, but you know what? I'm a better man than you. I'm going to leave this hotel now with my best friend. 
Your son Toshi is in room 1456. I'm gonna call his room and tell him that you're here. Maybe you'll get here in time before your lungs stop working and you suffocate. Tanaka was now compressing himself into the fetal position. He was trying to move his arms, but was having trouble doing so in a coordinated fashion. But before I do that, I feel like our deal needs a little renegotiation. Tanaka's eyes widened in horror. My friend Anton here has some questions for you. Important questions. I suggest you answer him as quickly and as honestly as you can. Tanaka-san, you've been supplying Jason Sterling and his Black Door group with Nankatsu technology developed by utilizing materials stolen from Leviathan. We know he is collaborating with two extraterrestrials. What did he want Nankatsu to build for him? Uh, he wanted... We built... Submarine to hide dead she. We know about that. What else? What else did you build for Jason Sterling? What's the largest thing you've built? Well, the sooner you answer, the less permanent the damage to your nervous system will be. There was a station, codenamed Crossbow, in the north, Nunavut, Devon Island. Please. Thank you, Tanaka-san. We're finished here. Tully, Oberlin, after you. Katsunori Tanaka's arms and legs twitched violently as his whole body convulsed. Tanaka, I know you can still see, so I want you to look at me. This is me fulfilling my end of the bargain. Tully removed his cell phone and quickly dialed a number. Hey, Toshi, this is your friend Tully. Yeah. Yeah. Come up to Toshi. the Tommy suite on the 34th floor as fast as you can. Your dad Toshi. is here waiting for you. Yeah, everything is okay now. Nothing to worry about. No, no. I promise you, he's going to be really happy to see you. The brilliant, triumphant sky blazed across the cavern ceiling of Leviathan, flooding sunlight into the large, floor-to-ceiling windows of the highest level of the Med Tower. Two red-headed women sat inches from each other, clutching hands and crying softly in joy. Evangeline? Evangeline McCullen. Her ladyship is conscious. Quickly, I want 20 milliliters of protocycline and a neurodepro stimulator. Also, get the bioscanner primed so that Evangeline, we can I'm right here. Can you tell me what you can remember? Benu? Dead. Anton killed him after he attacked us both. It was him. It was Benu that implanted the virus within Leviathan, not Harlequin. Evangeline winced upon hearing the name Harlequin. Is he... Did Benu kill... No. No, no, no. Benu didn't kill him. In fact, he's very close by. Hello, Eve. My love. Harlequin. Harlequin approached Evangeline's hospital bed and knelt on one knee to be at eye level with her. He brought her chilled hand to his mouth and kissed it gently. Apparently all the Queen's horses and men couldn't keep me away from you. I'm sorry, Father. Sorry for all the sins I've committed. And I'm sorry for doubting you. It's all in the past now. My actions have been less than admirable towards you over the centuries. I've been as guilty as you for not clearly seeing what's in front of me. Stay with me, Harlequin. Please. Forever, my love. Forever. Painfully, Evangeline turned her head to the left to face McCallan. <clears throat> Elgar and Kirana. McCallan's eyes shifted to shoot a glance at Dr. Link and Harlequin. McCallan. They escaped, Evangeline. 
We couldn't stop them before they jumped through the keyhole. We we don't know where they are. Evangeline took in a sharp stab of breath before squeezing McAllen's hand. How long? Since they escaped, it's been a few days now. We haven't been... Who else knows? Who else has seen the aliens in Leviathan? Not many. A few key members of the Honor Guard rushed into the catacomb chamber after the alarm had been sounded, but I'm not sure if they witnessed the aliens. Members of the Leviathan Council have been briefed as well as a few key personnel. We're doing our best to keep a lid on what you... on the sensitive nature of their presence. McCallan, listen to me. You have to find them. Quickly. There won't be much time. Evangeline, right now, most of Leviathan's resources are being used to keep the city from collapsing. The virus Bennu implanted is causing more and more destruction each hour. I brought down one of the most innovative computer experts I've ever witnessed. He's working with the engineers to buy us more time. He's done some extraordinary work, but it's looking like a matter of days, not weeks, Eve. Some have even called for an evacuation of the city. But I think I can use the Starstone I found to reboot the city's AI and re the city is irrelevant. It's far more important that we find the aliens first. All concerns about Leviathan City are secondary. Deploy all Darkwater agents to find Elgar and Karana. But Evangeline, the city, Leviathan, it could all be destroyed. Everything. If you don't find the aliens, it will all be destroyed anyway. Along with much, much more. And for the first time, Evangeline opened her eyes slightly wider and allowed herself to look further into her room, past Harlequin and McAllen. She could see Dr. Link, Keitha Watson and Robertson looking on concerned, as well as several medical technicians peering in through the doorway and the various engineers that had brought up the Starstone fragment from the Zephyr. Evangeline weakly lifted her hand and made a small gesture with her fingers, indicating that she wanted something to write on. One of the technicians swiftly brought her a pen and a small scrap of paper. She wrote four letters, H-A-O-N, on the slip of paper, before folding it and handing it to McAllen. McAllen read the word to herself silently. Hey, on. What does this mean, Evangeline? What does this have to do with the aliens? What are you trying to tell me? She wanted to ask Evangeline about the meaning of the note, but when she looked down, she could see that her ladyship had already fallen fast asleep. I'm sorry, but her ladyship needs rest. I have to ask everyone to clear the room immediately. I promise I'll notify you if there's any change in her condition. McAllen, you should come with me. I want you to meet my ward, Lisette, as well as get briefed on the status of the crisis we're facing. Harlequin, I didn't know that you had- Yes, it's a long story and one that you really should listen to sometime. But right now, we need to get to the engineering hub. They're working round the clock in the server room trying to keep our pressure shield up and maintain the power grid within Leviathan. Fine. Make sure they bring the Starstone fragment to the engineers so that they can use it to bolster our power reserves. Harlequin and McAllen descended to the base of the Med Tower and drove a three-wheeled enclosed pod bike to the engineering hub that was located near the West Hangar Bay. The bike allowed them to traverse the city quickly and also kept McAllen out of plain view of the populace that would otherwise quickly swamp and bombard her with questions about Evangeline's condition. Do you think the city is going to pull out of this? Never underestimate the ability of a situation to get worse or better. How much further? We're here. The server room is four flights down at the undercity level. Come on. McAllen walked into the engineering hub and down several flights of wide stone steps. She soon found herself in an enclosed room over two stories high with computer monitors covering almost every inch of the wall space. She also found Underchief Astrid Ansler asleep at her desk, with her nautilus-rimmed glasses pushed high on her forehead. 
She gently rubbed the shoulder of the exhausted engineer. Hey there. Dreaming about electric sheep. Oh, McKellen! You made it back. You did it. Was the Zephyr... The Zephyr performed perfectly. You did an amazing job prepping our gear for the mission. We succeeded because of your work. Thank you, Councilwoman. But the real reason we're still here right now is because of those two. The Underchief pointed to a pair of young adults sitting very close together in front of six large computer monitors. The two were pointing at various flashes that illuminated on the citywide map that appeared on one of the monitors in front of them. Other computer technicians swiftly approached the young man sitting in the left chair to confer with him or show him live information feeds on their data pads. The young woman next to him touched his arm and brought his attention back to the monitor in front of them. My dear, I certainly hope I'm not interrupting a romantic play date. Harlequin! The young girl stood up from her seat beside the young boy and approached Harlequin sternly. She looked like she might take a swing at the immortal, but stopped when she saw McCallan standing next to him. Lisette, this is Ms. McCallan Orsel, the so-called messiah of the immortal race and damn good backgammon player from what I've heard. McCallan, this impetuous Spitfire is my pride and joy. Her name is Lisette, and she's one of the greatest thieves in the world. It's a pleasure to meet you. I hope you can steal us some more time here in Leviathan. Enchanté. Harlequin, I asked you hours ago to get me the electrolysis schematics for Clerican. He's been working non-stop, and you can't expect him and to- And of course, this is Mr. Clerican, our computing prodigy that we seduced away from the revelry of DEFCON in Las Vegas. Clerican rose tiredly to shake McCallan's hand. Please don't get up. I mean it. Please, stay at your desk, because I hear you're the one that's keeping this place from imploding. Well, I wouldn't say that. All of the engineers here have been working non-stop. How have you been making out? We've been trying to set up a dummy AI to literally lure the virus into deploying its resources away from the primary life support and pressure shield. Like I said, it's buying us some time, but I don't know for how long. I'm hoping you can offer us a better plan. I hope so, too. The engineering team is bringing over a Starstone fragment that I discovered in New York that I hope we can integrate into Leviathan's power grid to sustain us. It might not be that easy. Show me what you've been doing so far. Sure. Well, have a seat in front of the main screen, and I'll bring up the firewalls and antiviruses that I created. But as soon as McAllen sat down and began to stare at the computer monitor, Chlorokan's voice began to fade and grow distant. She had a vague sense of weightlessness and could feel her body floating above the skyline of Leviathan. The only sensation that registered with her was Harlequin's hand firmly gripping her shoulders. What? McAllen had fallen asleep in her chair. McAllen, you need to get some rest. Go back to your apartment and we'll contact you shortly once we get the Starstone connected to the main You look like you could use some sleep. McCallum boarded the pushpod at the SkyTube station at Dickerson Terminal to take her to a unit at the Huckle Complex on the High Cavern Wall. The SkyTube network was running at less than a third its normal speed, but McCallum wanted to see the view and take in Leviathan in its entirety. At least while I still can. Oh, how can Evangeline just let all of this go? Look at all these buildings, all these people. Where will they all end up? Won't we just get lost on the surface? Her melancholy was interrupted by the sudden stop of the pod at her residential complex. She exited and walked to her unit that gave her more stunning views of Abel Park, Tweedle Boulevard, and the repair scaffolding that now surrounded the Great Cathedral. She could also see the Genesis Zone, which had been shut down, and many cave hogs lay dormant near the excavation entrance. I need a drink. McCallum went to her cabinet and poured herself a small glass of McAllister's Venotius and inhaled the fragrant scent of pears, honey, and gentle smoke. Oh, that's good. So good. 
And then she remembered that the last time she had enjoyed a glass of Venotius was with Anton. God, I hope he's okay. He and Tully should have already landed in Tokyo. I hope I did the right thing by sending Hopefully him. Tully hasn't gotten them both killed yet. Asshole. McCallum was about to reach for the Venotius bottle to pour herself a second glass when another strong scent invaded her nose. <laughs> I stink. McAllen then realized she couldn't remember the last time she had taken a proper shower. I don't think almost drowning in the Gulf of Alaska counts for much hygiene-wise. I need to take a shower. A good, hot shower. McCallum walked into her bathroom and disrobed, placing Evangeline's note, her earrings and her peacom on the salmon-colored marble counter beside the shell-shaped sink. She opened the smoked glass door to her shower, waved her hand over the motion sensor to activate the heavy flow of water directly from the ceiling, and quickly pressed the red temperature button repeatedly to raise the temperature of the water close to scalding. McCallum stood inside and felt the heated water beat down onto her aching shoulders as she filled her mouth with water, rinsed and slowly turned, allowing every every inch of herself to become heated and warm. The sound of the running water calmed her mind and granted her the comfort to think. What if the Starstone doesn't work? Maybe the Genesis Zone is the answer? Maybe we need to go deeper. I should talk to Engineering Chief Denson. Nope. Nope. Scratch that. I'll just talk to Astrid. If we have to evacuate, where would we go? Does Evangeline have some sort of base on the surface? She must. Ugh. McAllen stepped out of the shower and grabbed the thick white cotton towel, drying her hair and body vigorously. She reached for a cold glass of water to refresh herself after the steaming shower, and then <gasps> dropped her glass on the floor as she looked in the mirror and read the note Evangeline left her. Oh my god. Evangeline, you're right! We have to find the aliens! Listening to season three of the Leviathan Chronicles. To listen to all of the season three episodes right now and get the exclusive epilogue episode, purchase the season three director's cut at leviathanchronicles.com or click the link in the show notes for immediate download. The Leviathan Chronicles was written and created by Christoph Lepupka, executive produced by Robin Shaw, produced and musical composition by Luke Allen, directed by Nobi Nakanishi. For more information and news, visit our website or find us on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for supporting us and thank you for listening. Hi, this is Christoph Laputka, and I want to thank you for listening to Season 3 of the Leviathan Chronicles. I hope you've been enjoying our most action-packed season yet, because we want to keep growing the Leviathan universe with spin-off stories and future seasons. But we need your help. That's why I'm asking you to check out our first-ever Kickstarter campaign by going to leviathanchronicles.com slash kickstarter, or just clicking on the link in our show notes. There, we have many levels of support, as well as some really amazing rewards. One of our favorite characters is Salty Squid Bartender, Angus McKay. He really appreciates your support, and one of the rewards we're offering is a limited edition recipe book for Angus's favorite Leviathan cocktails that we found in an old corner of the squid. You can find cool items like that and much more on Kickstarter by going to leviathanchronicles.com kickstarter. We can't wait to get started on creating more audio dramas like Leviathan. Your help really does ensure that future projects will have the resources they need to make it from our headphones to yours. Thank you again for listening listening to season three, and thank you for checking out our Kickstarter campaign. I'll see you guys real soon. Leviathan Audio Production. Hey, Billy, why do you look so down? 
Aw, Dad, I got a computer, a PlayStation, and a barn full of iguanas, and I'm still bored. <sighs> Gee, Billy, when I was your age, I would read lots of stories in pulp magazines. Oh, with stories of weird adventure and fantasy, horror, satire, and lots of action. Wow, that sounds great, Dad. Yeah, I sure wish there was something like that right now. <laughs> there is, Daddy-O. Who are you? I'm Dr. Mary Von Roxbrocket, host of the Twisted Pulp Radio Hour. And now there's... Twisted Pulp Magazine! <laughs> What's that, Doctor? Why, it is a return to greatness! Available on all your digital devices! That is what it is! Look! Whoa! Dad, this looks awesome! Exciting and, dare I say it, very unwholesome! You definitely have that right, my good man! <laughs> Thanks, Dr. Mary! My pleasure, Billy! And just between you and me, I am not sure that this man is really your father. Bye! Dad? Uh, just read your Twisted Pulp magazine, Billy. Twisted Pulp magazine! Available in dark alleyways behind meth labs everywhere! Or at digitalvaudeville.com! That is D-I-G-I-T-A-L-V-A-U-D-E-V-I-L-L-E dot com! <laughs>